0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come and worship you in the Word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we examine what you would have us to see from this. And thank you for all those that aren't here today and that they enjoy whatever it is that you've called them to do. And we thank you and bless you in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 10, starting at verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, they will scourge you in their synagogues, and and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you, take no thought how or, or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall say. For it is not you that speak, but the spirit of your Father which speaks in you. And the brother shall deliver up brother unto death, and the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. All right, we're continuing this uh, teaching of Jesus. The 12 disciples, well, the, the, he sent out the 12 disciples and they came back. He gave them power to minister and cast out demons to heal people. Uh, and he's told them not to take anything with them and just be wherever they went to be taken care of. And he's continuing in this uh, encouragement of going out. And he says, behold, I send you a sheep into the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. When you really think about this picture, (laughs) being sent out as sheep into wolves. And wolves eat sheep. (laughs) And he says, I'm sending you out to where it's going to be vicious. And this is the way life is for us as Christians. When we go out, the world is very vicious toward us most times. Especially it's getting worse in our day. For a long time in America, we've had it pretty easy. We could say what we wanted, do what we wanted as Christians, and people kind of honored that position. Now you get made fun of, you get attacked, you get made fun of. Uh, It's kind of amazing. I was doing some research the other day, and I ran across some articles of people that were very much against the teaching of creationism. And they didn't have any facts behind it. It was just a bunch of name calling. Uh, you know, you, you unscientific people and all this other stuff, you know, no facts about why, why, why we're wrong, and that's pretty much the way people attack Christianity. And I've, I've shared this many times. How many times when you're witnessing to somebody do you hear, well, you believe in that Bible and it's just full of contradictions, and, I, and I've said over and over, challenge them, ask them to name even one. I know the five that they're going to tell us, and you know, and they're not contradictions when understood, but I know what they're going to tell us, and where we have answers to those, or we need to have answers to them, but we, we are going out to a very vicious world that wants to eat us if they possibly can and try to make us be quiet, but we have the truth. We have the absolute truth, and we need to be bold enough to speak it and learned enough that we can give them the reason why it's the truth, and this is the most important thing that I want to teach people is are we learning why we believe so that we can go out in amongst the wolves and be just as he says be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves and this is what he's saying we're ready to give answers we're to be wise we're to be ready to to explain why and this idea of wise wisest serpent goes all the way back to the genesis in the garden of eden when the serpent deceived eve with worldly wisdom and God's saying, be wise like them, but do be harmless. Have, have you ever met somebody who was very smart, very intelligent, very wise, but they left you feeling very small? Because they, when they got done, they, just, they were really showing how smart they were and how dumb you were, or making you just feel really bad because of their brilliance. And the world will try to do that to us. And what God is telling us, we're not to do that back to them, even if we can we're to just give the truth and be harmless. We're just speaking the truth and not trying to hurt people. We're not trying to drag them down. We're trying to encourage and build them up. If they're believing lies, we want to let them know that what they're believing is a lie. But not in a harsh and condescending way. Is the whole context of this thing in relation to us as Christians, all these verses? Well, us as Christians in general, the very context is the 12 going out. Okay, but it is also us as we go out, it's the same, same thing that we, we extrapolated to them. Yes, the context is he's sending the disciples out. And he's saying, hey, I'm sending you out to in a very dangerous place. And for us as Christians, as we walk, we're doing the same thing as we go out into the world. So yes, it's Christians, specifically the disciples, but it's applicable to us in this day. It's human nature to want to look like you know everything and get the last word and, and make people feel you know, that they don't know what's going on and you're, and you're the one that's in the know. And we just have to be very careful. There's, it, it all comes down to do I truly love somebody and correct them in love and teach them in love or am I trying to show everybody how brilliant I am and look at me and I'm the example. If I'm doing that, it doesn't hold a lot of water. If I'm loving somebody and I'm trying to teach them so that they get in a better place, that comes across. You can say very hard things if you truly love somebody. And if you've had anybody who loves you say things that are hard, you know what I mean. Sometimes you don't even realize that they've corrected you or criticized you until you start thinking about what they said a little later and going, wow, they said some pretty hard things to me. And, but the way they said it was just in a way, not sneaky and cagey, but just in so much love and care that it didn't hit you and make you get your defenses up. I had an example where I had to, number one, go to a friend of mine. We, we were together, we, we stayed together and uh, met every week. And I had to go, first off, go and apologize to him because you know I, give, I said, I haven't given you good go- godly counsel in this area and I need to apologize for not doing that. And here's what I think God needs you, you, you need to hear from God. He did not like to hear the message that, that I had, but he also recognized that it was out of love and, and concern and thought about it and ended up saying, yes, it was from God. Now, even if it's loving and godly, sometimes we don't want to hear it. That's a message when you're standing out, you know, in the service and the pastor of the church speaks something and it hits you right between the eyes and it's like, uh, has the pastor been watching me all week long? No, he hasn't. Your God just <laughs> told him what to say. Been there, done that many times when... Sitting in, in a service, and it's like, well, the pastor must have been watching me all week. You know, he's he's picking on me today. No, it's the Holy Spirit picking on us. And usually we don't want to hear it. It 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 hits us, and it's like, no, I don't want it. But if it's truly in love, we understand we need to. And that's this idea of being gentle as doves. Uh, I don't know if a dove has ever attacked anybody for anything in, in the history. You know, there's probably some. Some history of it, but doves are, you know, very gentle birds. You know, they don't, they don't really attack anybody. And so he's saying, be that gentle, be that gentle, and be wise. And this wisdom is really important. Is how do we walk our life? Are we walking our lives so that people look at us and say, now there's how a Christian's supposed to live? Or do we walk in a way that says, well, I, I'm covered by grace. I can do what I want and get away with whatever I want. And people look at it and say, uh, well what's the difference between that person and and me and this is a critical place because you tell this to a lot of people and go "Well, don't judge me well I'm sorry but God says to walk after the Spirit not after the flesh and I'm not judging people I'm just saying you're a terrible testimony (laughs) if you're living the wrong lifestyle you're a terrible testimony people need to be able to look at you and say I want God that you that you have in you because you are different you're at peace You love people, you're kind. I want what you have, tell me about it. And at least touch their life in a way that makes them want it and maybe ask somebody else sometimes down the road when they've seen enough Christians live that lifestyle. And it's an old adage, but it's true. Many people are not Christians because they know at least one Christian. And that's a sad point. They've seen enough hypocrisy in Christians that they say, that's not what I want. By the same token, they're not gonna become a Christian unless they know a Christian, and I mean a real Christian that will lead them to Christ. And he says, I'm sending you out. You 12, I'm sending you two by two, you're headed out. And it says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up into councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Now remember, they're being sent only to Israel right now in this particular first sending. Uh, They're not to leave Israel he says, you're going to go out, and these leaders are going to bring you into the courts. They're going to bring you into the councils. They're going to scourge you. And for a Jewish court, that meant 39 lashes with the whip. The okay? law said they could do 40, uh, and the Pharisees said, okay, we're going to be merciful. We'll, we'll sentence you to 40, and you get 39. So never, they never gave you the 40th. Lash, at least in Jesus' day. Uh, But scourging was a way that left your body in great pain and could kill you in those days because there was no no real antiseptics and you were usually beat and thrown into a filthy, dirty jail or or dungeon cell so that you also usually got infected. They didn't clean you up. They didn't care about it. They'd cut your back wide open and then threw you into a, a filthy environment. So it was not good. You you oftentimes had more pain from the secondary infections than you did from just the beating. Was this the same type of flogging that uh, Paul? Uh, when he got it by the Jews, this would be the flog, the scourging he would get. Is the Romans the only rule for the Roman was that they couldn't kill you when they were scourging you? But in the synagogue, uh... in the rules for the synagogue for the Jews would be 39 lashes, maximum if you got the like full. That that it would be a lot of, lot of blows, a lot of, lot of mess. But it says, beware of men because they're going to scourge you and you're going to be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and, for the, the, and, for, and the Gentiles. It says, when you go before the, the, the leaders, you're actually going to be testifying against them, just as Jesus had done so many times. Times with the scribes and Pharisees, you, you, you whitewashed sepulchers, you, you, you uh, snakes, you vipers. You know, Jesus was not nice to the to the uh, Pharisees and scribes because they weren't they weren't being nice to the people. They were really trying to make people think that they were righteous and better than they are. And God has a definite hatred toward the pride of self-righteousness because it lifts you up instead of lifts Him up. And when, that's being, when you're lifting yourself up in any way, God's going to say, no, that's not going to happen, especially his children. When it's his children, he's going to knock us down a few pigs just to make us know that it's him. And when it's others doing it, he'll call them out on it. Self-righteousness is a terrible thing in God's sight. It's a terrible thing in our sight usually too. You know, but unfortunately, we usually see it in others and not in ourselves ourselves. You know, we see others that are self-righteous, but we don't necessarily see ourselves being that way. And we need to be really taking good, hard look at ourselves and saying, how am I projecting myself in front of people? Because we all fail. We all have sins. Yes, as we walk more with God, we get better. And we, but the problem is, as we get better, we also have to watch out. that <laughs> We're not trying to lift ourselves up as the, look at me, I'm the, I'm, I'm the all in all. We can say, look at what God has done through me. Look at where He's brought me. But there's a difference between doing that and saying, God has brought me a long ways and look and follow me in those places than saying, hey, I'm, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. Come and you know make sure you're looking at me. And there's a very fine line that we need to walk on that. And he seems to be careful. They're going to take you in there. Verse 19 says, but when they deliver you, take no thought, how or what you shall speak, for it will be given to you what to say in that same hour. So in other words, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to, to speak when we're when we're witnessing, when we're talking to people, when we're defending Him. This does not mean, and I've said this before, does not mean that we don't study. It doesn't mean that we don't learn why we believe what we believe. But it says, I'm not going to sit here and try to put together scripts of This is what I say when I reach this place. And too many people want that. They want that to be able to witness to people. Just tell me exactly what to say and how to say it and when to say it and I'll be able to witness to anybody. Well, the problem is the scripts can be a good starting place. And I've told you, I've studied evangelism. I've gone to evangelism classes quite a few times and I know the various different scripts that they use. And I don't use any of them the way that they were written. (laughs) I, I intermix them and twist them and and mix them up, and change them around. Pretty much whatever God puts on my heart to say to the person at the time that I'm speaking with them. And God will open up the words. He will fill our mouth. You think about Peter on the day of Pentecost. He wasn't sitting there all these times between the cross and Pentecost trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to preach to, all, to, all, to 3,000 people? No, he was more concerned with how am I going to stay alive because Jesus has been killed and they want to kill us now. So for the, the time between the cross and Pentecost, the disciples were concerned about dying. And all of a sudden they get baptized by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out and he preaches a sermon that leads 3,000 people to Christ. He had not sat there and planned a big sermon, but he opened his mouth and God spoke through him. One of the greatest things that can happen to you is if you're a teacher or a pastor or even just pre- uh, preaching the gospel, teach, speaking to somebody the gospel message, for the Holy Spirit to take over your mouth and fill your mouth with words. It's happened many times to me over the years. And I've, I've described it many times. Sometimes I get back mentally and I'm just kind of kicked back listening to my, what my mouth is saying knowing that it's no longer me speaking and it's an amazing thing. When you're witnessing to somebody and you're just you, the words are just coming through so smoothly and 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 correct and nice and you know that it's not you. Or as a teacher you're teaching and all of a sudden you know that what you're teaching is not you speaking it. You've studied, you you've done your stuff, your your preparation and all of a sudden the spirit takes over. It's an amazing place to be. We need to seek that. We need to ask God, God Give me the opportunities to speak for you and give me the words to speak for you. And again, we study, we evaluate, we learn, we prepare. But I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit starts speaking out of you, all those things go out the window. And yes, you hear yourself saying things that you know, you hear yourself using some of the scripts you know, but you know that it's the Holy Spirit speaking out of you. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. The Holy Spirit will fill your mouth and give you the words to say because in verse 20 that's what it says for it is not you that speak but the spirit of your father which speaks in you and so again look for those opportunities have those opportunities start speaking and then listen to the Holy Spirit taking over it takes being prayed up and in the Bible and and, underst- and being with the God and, and worshiping him but it's a wonderful thing when it happens Verse 21, And the brother shall deliver up brother to death, and the father the child, and the child shall rise up against his parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. This is a really hard thing, and for many generations this isn't fully understood as much as it is today. In our day, we see parents being turned in by kids, especially in countries where it's against the law to be a Christian we see all kinds of places where parents will be turned in by their kids or kids will be parents will turn their children in brothers and sisters and all because there's this animosity toward God and his people satan wants to destroy people he wants to destroy christians and even for the disciples they're going to see this time coming very quickly after as pentecost rolls they're going to have persecution coming really soon where the people are going to think they're doing good in executing them, and putting them to death, sometimes very cruelly. And this happens, all through history it's happened. But we see, all through time, we see this persecution where families are being turned in. The Jews did it to, when people became Christians, they would basically treat their family like they had died because they'd left Judaism. Rome is going to persecute the Christian church for many centuries. The, the Roman Catholic Church persecutes the, persecutes, the, persecutes the church that isn't part of them for many centuries. Uh, the, Reformation, the, the Reformation leaders persecuted anybody who didn't believe what they believed. I mean, it's been very harsh what Christians have done, or quote-unquote Christians have done to other Christians, much less what the world has done to Christians. And we see the attacks over and over and over again trying to destroy... God's people. There's always been just a small remnant of people throughout all of history. Judaism is full of just seeing a small remnant of people following God for most of it. Occasionally there'd be a good king and, and many of the people would follow. But over the years, God has always just had a remnant that has followed him. And then that remnant gets persecuted by those who don't want to be part of the remnant. The gospel message that we, are, that we are sinners that deserve hell and Jesus paid the price is a message that keeps getting blurred over the years. And we see it when the Roman Catholic Church started, they put all this works and, and rules upon it and they tried to destroy anybody who believed in it. The Reformation, if you didn't believe exactly the way they believed, in, in you, were, you were persecuted. And they were violent toward other reformers. The reformers themselves fought amongst each other because of, of doctrinal issues and because they always thought they were the only one. And they did a good job bringing us into, back to the Scripture, back to the Holy Spirit, but yet at the same time they were very, pretty violent in their own way to say, we're right and you're wrong and you've got to follow us. They were just as violent against the other reformers as they were against the Catholic Church when they got, a, when they got the upper hand. And the Catholic Church was very violent toward the Reformers when they had the upper hand. It was a very harsh environment because people did not follow God. You know, and it's so easy to get wrapped up in doctrinal issues. And we sometimes will, will be ready to fight almost to the death. Maybe not literally, but we, we're ready to destroy relationships to be right sometimes. And that's not what God's wanting. You know, God is perfectly able to defend His Word. He is perfectly able to defend His doctrine. Yes, we will, say, we should say what, what is right and what is wrong, but if somebody wants to disagree with us, I don't have to fight tooth and nail to get you to believe what, what God is teaching is truth. I don't have to fight tooth and nail to get you to accept Jesus Christ. All I have to do is present the Gospel. I don't have to fight tooth and nail for you to believe that this is the Word of God. I will give you the reasons why it's the word of God. I will give you the reasons why Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God and that He resurrected from the dead. But I don't have to sit there and lose, treat you so bad and make you feel so bad if you don't want to believe it. That's between you and God. Eternity is at stake. So yes, I'm going to push to a certain point, but at the same time, I know that I don't have to have the last word. I don't have to make you understand that I'm right and you're wrong because ultimately... It's the Holy Spirit that, can, that does the work only. And it must be the Holy Spirit that does the work. Because if I intellectually argue you into the kingdom, as soon as you're away from my presence and you meet some other person who knows other arguments, they're going to argue you right back out of the kingdom because they're, they're going to give you, all the, you know, all the arguments they have to why the person that you were just talking to is wrong. And the only way you'd ever have a good you know, good discussion is if both of them are talking and you're listening. <laughs> But even that gets awfully heated sometimes. But it takes the Holy Spirit. We give God's Word, we give the defense, and we let the Holy Spirit work in their heart. Many times you'll give the message of God and people won't seem to respond. It won't be until they're laying in bed that night when the Holy Spirit tweaks their conscience and goes, hey, what if they're right? What if you did die tonight? Where are you going to spend eternity? And all of a sudden, all these words that you gently spoke to them start coming back. And the Holy Spirit can deal with them in the, in the middle of the night with nobody else there by dealing with the words that you and others have spoken to them. So never think that what you're doing is in vain because we don't know. We cannot judge whether it's in vain or not. What we say today may be just what, they're, what they need a week from now to come to Christ. Maybe just another piece in the puzzle that they need that the next person comes along and fills in the rest of the puzzle and they get saved. We have to be very careful how we evaluate the success or lack of success that we think we've been having because we see by sight. We don't see by what the Spirit says. And maybe something you say will affect them 10 years from now when they remember. We never know how the Holy Spirit will, will tweak their memories to bring them back into it many stories of the Vietnam uh, men that were put into prison camps remembering the scriptures that they had learned when they were a kid or a teenager. And they basically put most of the Bible together from memory over their years and sharing with one another. And, and they would share it with somebody and go, oh yeah, that's, I remember that verse and this is the one that follows or this is the one before. And they pretty much put the whole Bible together not not the list of names and everything but you know the doctrines that were important were put together why because the Holy Spirit tweaked their memories and said hey you need to make a decision for me you're in a bad place you need to make a decision and the decisions came and the Holy Spirit gave them remembrance of the verses they had learned and heard this is why putting Bible verses in our mind is so important there may come a time when we don't have bibles in this country that's hard to imagine especially in our day and age with the cell phones and the internet and all the places where you can find bibles and most of us in america as christians probably have at least two or three bibles in our home if not more i'm literally saying no not even in electronic format. Oh. There is going to come a time when there's going to be a time when it's going to be against the law to have a Bible. It's going to be against the law to read the Bible. Verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over all the cities of of Israel till the Son of Man come. So he's saying when you're persecuted, it gets really bad, go somewhere else. And this is how the gospel spread because the, the disciples did not leave Jerusalem until about 70 A.D. when when Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed and persecution got so bad that they had no choice but to leave. And then most of them went to Antioch, which is just a very short distance from Jerusalem. So they didn't really go out and do what God said to do until after he destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and scattered the people of Israel again. And, you know, this is kind of sad, but how slow are we sometimes to be obedient to God? Even the disciples were very slow to being obedient to God. They didn't go out and do, he go, said, go out into all the world. And they stayed in Jerusalem. I'm sure their mindset was, well, we haven't, we haven't saved everybody in Jerusalem yet. So we got to stay here until we save everybody in Jerusalem. Then we'll go into Judea. Then we'll go into Samaria. Uh, and God is saying, no, get moving. Get out there and do, do what you've been told. And we tend to do the same thing often. God says, I want you to go talk to so-and-so. And it's like, oh, God, I don't know, maybe tomorrow. Uh, only problem is, we all know tomorrow never comes because when it becomes today, we still go, okay, tomorrow, God. But we need to be obedient. We need to know that things are going to happen. And God can make it that we go out there. He may send persecution to make us go out amongst other people. Verse 24, and let's read a little section again. And the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his lord it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his lord and the servant as his lord if they have called the master of the house of Beelzebub how much more shall they call them of this his household fear them not therefore therefore for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known what I tell you in darkness, that speak you in light. And what ye have heard in the ear, that, that preach you upon the housetops. And fear them not which kill the body, but are not able to, to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear you not, therefore Are ye are of more value than many sparrows. All right. So we're going to look here and he says, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. This is something for us to keep in mind. If Jesus suffered, we will suffer. If Jesus was attacked, we will be attacked. Nothing is worse than the, the gospel message that keeps getting preached out there. Come to God and everything's going to be okay. I'm glad it's dying away. That used to be a message that was talked about all the time. Come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. You'll live happy and you'll be wealthy. And, and what a lie, because as soon as you became to Christ, Satan did not want you to be part of the God's kingdom. He tried everything, he tries everything he can to stop you. And we look at Jesus Jesus was attacked all the time. His words were attacked, his person was attacked. He says, you're not going to be above me. If I suffered, you're going to suffer. And, you know, it's verse 5, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they called the master of the house to be as above, how much more shall they call them of, of his household? So he's saying it's enough that you be like him. Our goal should always to be like Christ in every aspect of our life. Now, we will probably never, ever get close to, to being like Christ. We'll never be as loving as He was, as caring as He was, as, as perfect as He was, as kind and, and wise in speech as He was. But our goal should be, Lord, I want to be more like You. How do we get to be more like Him? We spend more time with Him. <laughs> That's how we become more like, like our Lord. We spend more time in the Word. We spend more time in prayer. We spend more time meditating on His Word. And the more we spend with Him, the more we become like Him. This is what happens in families. You can tell the children of various people because you start hearing the same language coming out of the kids that their parents use. If they're a godly family, you start hearing those godly conversations coming out of the kids. If it's an ungodly family, you hear the ungodly things that are coming out of the kids. But you can tell who their family member is. When you go to a college and there's fraternities and sororities, the people that hang together all the time start using the same language. They start acting the same way. Why? Because that's who they're around all the time. If you're a military person, the people generally start acting in a certain way that military people act like and if we're going to be one that's following Christ we are going to become like him by hanging around him and hanging around his people we will start speaking with love and edification and building people up and it just it takes time it takes it takes not even effort it just it just happens that we become like who we are around you know what I'm saying? If you're around educated people, you're going to start speaking in an educated way. If you're with around Christians, you should start being more and more like Christ. That is what Christian means anyway. It was in Antioch they started calling the followers of Christ Christians. And it was actually supposed to be an insult. You're nothing but Christ followers. And but they liked it. And it's a good term. We should be Christ followers. So we should be becoming like The one we're following. And the more we hang out with him, the more we spend time with him, the more we will become like him, and the more we will speak the way he speaks and act the way he acts and make the ability to change the world. And it says, they called me the the Lord of the house of the devil. They're going to call you of the house of the devil. And we're starting to see just that going. We look at this and Jesus said, they called me of the house of the devil. They're going to call you. And we're seeing this happen in our world. They're calling everything that God calls good, they're calling bad. And what God calls bad, they're calling good. We see that in marriage. I mean, how many people, if you talk to the world, most of the world looks at marriage as a terrible, awful thing, even though God says it's his calling for those, uh, for his people to have a marriage and have a relationship that's going to be for the rest of their life. God calls homosexuality a sin. The world says, oh, it's just another good choice, you know, choice that it's good for you if you think it's good. God says he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. They'll tell us that you're just so narrow-minded and bigoted you hate people that don't believe what you believe. And they'll go, well, all anything can be okay as long as you believe it well enough. You know, And then all these things that are totally illogical I love this idea that people go, well, there's lots of ways to God. You can, you can just do whatever you want. Well, I guarantee you, if you get on the wrong plane or the wrong airplane, no matter how much you think you're going someplace, you're not going where you think you're going, you can believe with all your heart that you're following the right thing and still be wrong. And the world has to understand this. And, and if we tell them that, we're considered, you know, hatred toward them. You just You're just trying to tell me what to think and how to think and don't, Don't judge me because my way is good. Verse 26: Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid which shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak you in the light, and what you hear in the ear, that preach upon the rooftops. This is a two-way street on this section of Scripture. If we, as followers of Christ, try to hide our sins, God's going to reveal them. But by the same token, it happens to the world as well. If they try to hide their sins, eventually their sins will become public knowledge, at least to some level of public. Sin does not stay hidden. It always gets bigger. It always gets larger and more demanding and eventually comes out. And God is especially not going to let his children get away with it, but he also doesn't let the world get away with it. Their, war, their sins come out. Satan wants to destroy. He wants to kill and destroy and he's going to bring out anything that it takes to bring people down. And Even though they're his followers, he doesn't love them. He doesn't love the people that are turning away from God. He's, his goal is to make them feel bad and miserable as much as he does the Christians. And in their job it's easier because they're already his. So they have no strength to be defended from him when he turns against them. And we see this oftentimes, you know, a lot of the twilight zones and everything had this kind of thing. You made a deal with the devil and how it got twisted around so that you got hurt getting what you thought you wanted. And it happens all the time. You get what you think you want and you end up being hurt by it. It's just the way it is. If it's not God you're following, you're going to get hurt. God has a great plan for you. And it may be painful at certain points as he's teaching you, but at the long run, it is going to be the greatest blessing you've ever had because we're going to have everything when we get to heaven because God has everything for us. And he says, you know, nothing shall be hid, but it shall be known. What you hear what you hear in what I tell you in darkness, that speak in your light. And what you hear in the ears, preach it from the mountains, from the rooftops. God's saying, speak what you learn. What you're learning in your meditation, what you're learning when you're studying on your own, speak it out loud to tell people. And this is what I keep encouraging people. I look forward to the day when I come into this church and I hear people all the time sharing, this is what I learned this week in the scriptures, this is what I studied, this is what God showed me this week, this is what He showed me yesterday. I look forward to the day when people are getting that excited about God's Word. What is whispered in your ear? God. What you hear in your ear, or it says whisper. heard, whispered. That God God's speaking to you when you're studying. Okay. When you're studying, when you're, when you're being taught in the quietness, go out and share it. Tell people about it. But whisper's not a bad deal because he speaks, God speaks in a very still, small voice most of the time. And if we're not concentrating to hear Him, oftentimes we'll, get, we'll not hear God. When people will say, and when I have said in my lifetime, well, I'm just not hearing from God, usually it's because I've gotten myself so busy that I'm not listening. I'm just reacting to everything going on around me and I'm just caught up in, in day-to-day you know, survival mode and I'm no longer listening to God. Because when God met the prophet, he said, I, you thundered at me and I didn't hear your voice. You came in the fire and I didn't hear your voice. You came with the wind and I didn't hear your voice. And then I heard the still small voice of God. And basically he's saying, are we calming ourselves down enough to listen? And we all know sometimes that's hard to do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sometimes that's very hard to do, especially when we get caught up in the day-to-day living and we're just running along and we, we get up we get up in the morning and we read our newspaper, we take our shower and shave and And we eat our breakfast and then we run out of the house. We haven't picked up God's word. We haven't read the Bible. We get busy with our day and don't bring God into our day. And then we get to the end of the night and we go, God, sorry, I missed you. Say a quick prayer, go to sleep and start the whole day all over. And God's all day long trying to whisper in our ear, that guy over there, go talk to him. You know, you're supposed to know this verse that you're supposed to have read this morning. This would keep you out of trouble right now. I want you to talk to this person but we're so busy in the day-to-day mundane minutia, minutia that we're dealing with that we don't listen to, for God. Be still know that I But over and over, we are encouraged to be still. Take that moment to just concentrate on God. And it's an amazing thing because it's another one of those places that's so contradictory. God says that if you want to have more, you give him your 10% in your offerings. If you want to be the servant of all you, uh, to be the master of all, you need to be the servant. To be first, you have to be last. To hear God's voice, you have to stop and concentrate on God. And then you get to success for the rest of the day because he tells you what to do. God's way just doesn't make sense when we look at it through human eyes. We keep looking at him from human eyes and it's like, God. you're, you're kind of you're kind of mixed up aren't you God and God's saying yeah by human standards I'm very mixed up but I'm God that's so contrary to what most people think and believe well we have to walk by faith we walk we, we walk by faith you know the just shall live by faith four times that's in the scriptures that the just shall live by faith so God's pretty much saying live by faith quit walking by sight quit walking by what you think is right be able to go to God and say God what do you want me to do in this situation the sad thing is usually we realize what it is we should have done afterwards because then we start thinking by you know getting away from sight and say oh i should have talked to this person i should have said these things and if we would have just been still just been still we all do it i do it all the time where i totally mess up and and not focus on god it is so easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day activities and leave god out of it especially when you're doing routine things. This is just what I do. And we do our routine. And God's saying, uh, let me into your routine here. I I have something for you to do. We can do this in our worship sometimes. We get so used to the routine of worship that we forget to let God in the middle of the routine. We could get into our programmed evangelism where here's my script. Uh, hold it! You're not saying the right thing. I'm over here on this page. You know, you're, you've jumped three pages ahead of me on my script. Get back! Get back in line. You know, and we wouldn't say that to them, but we're thinking this. You know, hold it! You're in the wrong place. You're not. You're not responding the way the script is supposed to go. And this is the problem with evangelistic programs. If you're not flexible enough to work with the Holy Spirit, then you get really flustered because you're trying to follow a script and they're not following the same script. You when know, we, when we're in worship, we're following a script and not everybody else may be following the script. We're going through our day following our routine, our script, and God's saying, hold it, I'm over here. I'm mad, you know, I'm ad living the script here. Get, throw the script away. You know, you're on the wrong script. I have a different script for you today. We need to be very careful that we're looking for God and not looking at our life the way it is we think it should be. And it's easy to walk by sight because that's who we are. We're fleshly beings and we walk by sight. We walk by the way the world has taught us to walk. Now, the more we study God, the more we're going to do things his way. But even that has its own danger. If I'm still, I could get wrapped up in good things that I'm doing and still not pay attention to God. I could get up in the morning, read my Bible, spend two hours in prayer and still not be listening to God for the rest of the day because... God, I gave, you my, I gave you the start of my day, and now I'm on my rest of my day. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Jesus started his days off each day with prayer and, and time with the Father so that he would be listening to the Father. Now, if you started your day with Bible reading and the prayer, you're probably going to be listening to in the rest of the day. But you could just say, this is my religious ritual. Start your day that way and not pay attention to God the rest of the day because you performed your duty. God, I gave you my time that morning. Now, what else do you want? Just the rest of your day. (laughs) I talk about giving God a tithe of our time, but God really wants all of our time. He wants all of our possessions to be at his disposal. He doesn't want just the tithe. He wants all of us. I I would say, though, if you're not giving him at least a tithe of your time, there's no way you're going to give him all of your time. If you're not willing to give him 10% of your, your, your day or your week, you're definitely not going to give him all that you have and we need to be really listening to him taking the opportunities when the door opens to share with somebody the young man i was sharing to the other day he opened up the conversation with are you ever down why do you, i always see you smiling and it opened up the door to be able to speak to him and encourage him and to help him with it because i knew he went to the the chapel and services and everything he saw something in me that was different from what he saw in other Christians because it was one of those things like, you're different, you are different. And we need to be living that difference so people look at us and say, something different about you. When we leave this building which we call the church and we the church actually go out into the, to chloride and the rest of the Mojave County, are we bringing Christ into their, their midst and saying here's something that you should want? Here is something that you should want because I have Christ. Or are they just looking at us and saying, well, you're just like everybody else. You know, you, you, you curse at people, you swear at people, you're mean to people just like everybody else. And you're grumpy and you're miserable most of the time. Or, man, you're different. You have a smile. You always seem to be at peace. You, yeah, I've seen you down once in a while, but mostly you're, you're up and you're excited about God. We need to be able to bring His presence into their situation. Now that same presence will also convict them. It's amazing how God we we as Christians just walk into a place and the conviction of God falls upon upon people's hearts. I, I've seen it over and over. Even in people that don't know my know who I am, you know, will say something and they'll look at me, oh I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that. I'm going, I'm, I'm not the one you're offending. You're offending God, so I'm not, you know, it's not. But I also know that I'm bringing God into that, bringing that conviction. Doesn't happen all the time, but it happens frequently. Uh, Frequently enough that I know that I bring God into the situations. And we need to be bringing God in. Living in a way that draws people into God. And then the last thing that I wanna bring out on this is 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. When we face people, the worst thing that they can do to us is almost kill us. Okay, because that would mean we have to have more pain. Best thing they can do to us is kill us. And we go to heaven. Second best thing is maybe they'll accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and become a brother or a sister. But he's, Jesus is saying, in context here, you're going to be standing in front of kings and, and rulers. You're going to be standing up in the synagogues. You're going to be standing up in front of people. Do not be afraid of them. They cannot do anything but kill your body. And as, and as I've taught, if we, get, if we get killed, that's a great thing because we go to heaven. We get to stand before God. Stephen, as, he's being, as they're stoning him, stands in the middle of it and says, Behold, I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. I don't think that Stephen felt anything after he saw Jesus. Even though his body wasn't dead there, I think his mind was so full of Jesus and where I'm going, he probably never felt another strike from that. He may not even have been indwelling the body at that point when he saw Jesus. Because his mind was now, Oh, I get to go home. I am going home. But we need to be able to see, I'm focused on Jesus. Where is my focus? Is it on the people? If my focus is on the people, I'm gonna fear what they can do to me and if they, want to, if they don't like me. If my focus is on Jesus, I really don't care what others think about me in, in detail because as long as I'm pleasing Jesus, I'm doing what's right. And if the world doesn't like me when I'm focused on Jesus, so be it. They're not going to like me anyway. The world will never like you if you're not bowing down to them. And this is true of all worldly relationships. If they're based upon the world's way of thinking, they want to get something out of that relationship. And if they're not getting it, they're not happy. As Christians, if we're truly the servant to others, and we're building people up, and we're loving them, it doesn't matter whether we're getting blessed out of, the, out of the relationship or not. We're serving the individual. We're serving the other brother. doesn't mean that we become doormats. It doesn't mean that we get abused. But it does mean that we're doing what will be good for them. Every good parent wants their children to be better off than they are. As Christians, we should want other Christians to be better off following God than we are. If they get blessed, praise God, it's so wonderful to see you get blessed. You got the new house that I wanted, praise God, you, you got that house. You've got the new car that I wanted, praise God, but it better be mature and meant, not just saying it because you think that's the right thing to say. If you're being envious of them and jealous of them, grow up. <laughs> really grow up because God probably knows that you can't handle the blessings. And that's really to be true. Many Christians will never be blessed with great wealth and prosperity because God knows that if they got it, they would abandon him. And I've seen it happen so many times in the church where somebody gets high enough in a company, makes enough money, and then they stop coming to church. And you go, well, where have you been? Well, I've been, out, I've been out camping with my RV. I've been out on the, out on the, uh, the river, the lake or the ocean with my boat. Uh, I've been, you know playing with the quads, you know. Oh, God blessed you and you quit, quit honoring God. God does not bless many Christians because he knows that exactly what they're going to do is abandon him. Now, it's not saying those things are bad. Yeah. If God blessed me with those things, great. I just don't know when I'd use them because I'm so busy serving him, I don't know when I'd use the toys. So I don't think he's ever going to bless me with those things because it just wouldn't be much sense in my case. But if God gives it to you, you, bless him. You honor him and say, thank you. Use it for His glory. If you use it for His glory, He'll give you more. There have been Christian millionaires who have given much of their money to it, much of their money to God, and blessed God over all of that with their, with their finances and done great things with what, what they have. Using a portion of what God gives you is not wrong. Having a nice house is not wrong. Having a nice car is not wrong. But if everything you're doing is to get there and not worrying about how you're serving God and how he's being blessed out of it, then you've got the wrong wrong target, the wrong goal. So we just want to encourage on that. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. We ask that you guide and lead us as we go about our day in our business and help us to just enjoy you and learn from you in your son's name amen